Hello, my name is Peter Nixon, and welcome to the Mega Game Report. Mega Games for the Uninitiated are gaming hybrids between board games and role-playing games, which frequently accommodate large player counts. This week on the podcast, we have Jay Cleveland and Leslie Loy of West Coast Mega Games. Jay is a founding member of the seminal mega gaming group West Coast Mega Games. Today, West Coast Mega Games partners and provides guidance to fledging mega game groups and designers up and down the West Coast and really throughout the country. And Leslie Loy, who is also a part of West Coast Mega Games, may be one of the most important people in the U.S. mega gaming community ever. She's super active in outreach and networking between mega gaming groups, and is also persistently looking for ways to broaden the hobby's player base and get new people involved. She's also active in planning mega game events for the Mega Game Coalition, including this year's Gen Con. But today we're talking about West Coast Mega Games' rendition of Sengoku. Sengoku is a feudal era Japan mega game where clans vie to become shogun of Japan through warfare, political intrigue, and through impressing the emperor in an actual constructed mock throne. It sounds super cool, and I am super excited to experience it at Gen Con 2018, so let's jump into it. Hello and welcome to Mega Game Report. My name is Peter Nixon, and I'm joined today by two members of West Coast Mega Games, and that is J.T. Cleveland and Leslie Loy. Jay, why don't you introduce yourself? So, yeah, I'm JT Cleveland. I was the founder and currently am the project lead for West Coast Mega Games. I also handle most of the control responsibilities. Very cool. And Leslie, I initially heard about you from your work with Gen Con and how much you did for the Gen Con deployment of the Mega Game Coalition without even being there in the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to be behind the scenes a lot more. So I run more of our outreach marketing and trying to also do logistics. I like event planning. So that's kind of my role with WCM as well. Wow. I feel like every group needs a needs a Leslie if if that's <laughs> if that's what you're into. They, they do. But they not do. everybody has one. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. So, Jay, you are a founding member of West Coast. Yeah, I'm. Uh, we started a Sacramento Mega Games with me just off the seat of my pants running Sengoku, which was adapted from the Mega Game Maker's version of the same game, which was an interesting decision to do. The reason we started it was one of my friends saw the Shut Up and Sit Down video, like most people who got into Mega Games did, mm -hmm. and she said, I want to fly to the UK and do one of these things. And I said, hell, why, why fly all that way, waste all that money when we could do something here? So we did. <laughs> Wow. And who is that person? Uh, Angela Kump. She is a controller for us. She does a little bit of design. At the moment, she's been a player in our last two games, so she's, she's kind of switched sides. Those are the best types of traders. I want to hear about Sengoku. So this was, you originally got the design from the Mega Game Makers in the UK? So yeah, when we decided we were going to do a Mega Game, when I was looking at different things, I wasn't sure where I wanted to go in, right? That's always the question when you're, you're looking at doing a Mega Game. What rules are there? How does it run? And back in 2014, when Mega Games just started popping out from the Mega Game makers, there wasn't really any rules available online. Like, you can find the Watch the Skies rules now. Uh, so I went over to their website, and the rules that... Jim and the Mega Game Makers give out for free. The only one that's a 100% game package is Sengoku. It's still up on their website, too. So I read through all of that, then got my hands on Watch the Skies and a couple of different things and read through as much as I could on that. And for whatever reason, I decided Sengoku was manageable. So I started redesigning it, I think, in September 
of 2014, and we scheduled the game for January of 2015. Sengoku, it's set in feudal Japan. Is it structured where you are assigned to a faction, but you have different roles? Is it that type of mega game? So very, very similar structure to Watch the Skies. You've got different factions. You've got either samurai clans, um, sohi, so warrior monks, temple type deal. And then you've got the Bakfu government, uh, the central government of Japan, essentially. And you have players on each team. Usually your team rules are your team leader, you know, clan leader, the, the samurai daimyo or the temple head. Then you've got a general doing something on the tactical map, doing that more tactical, moving troops, figuring that out, and then doing diplomacy when they defeat their enemies. Then you've got diplomats who are going between the team tables, trying to work out deals for each other. And that's your basic structure. Very, very similar to Watch the Skies. The, the biggest difference is instead of doing like an intercept mechanic, you're doing pretty linear troop movements. And then it's a slog, kind of like the original Watch the Skies rules were for regular battle. Huh. What did you do in the redesign, out of curiosity? So the biggest thing we wanted to do with the redesign when we originally took a crack at it, because our, our motives kind of changed between our first and second game of Sengoku, and then even more so on our third, mm-hmm. um, was trying to give something more for players to latch onto. So I kind of went crazy in our first redesign and even added RPG elements, which we very quickly took out. <laughs> um, but we... <laughs> We wanted to give players a sense of progression, some player choice, and then a big thing for us is player agency, as well as redesigning the materials and making stuff go. So the base tactical system is essentially a numbers game, pretty standard war game. You've got troops on one side, troops on another side. You get a ratio of their troops to your troops, like two to one, three to one, five to one, what have you. And then once you've got that number the attacking side chooses a tactic, the defending side chooses a tactic, those tactics meet up with each other and further adjust the odds, and then you roll a d6 to see what the outcome is, and lots of people die, right? That was interesting, and we kept that as the base mechanic, but one of the things we wanted to allow was people to come in. So we changed the troop movements from being linear, just move from place here to place here, to adding tactics in, like support, defend, you know, defensive encampment, attack movement. And these are separate from the kind of the attack and defense tactics that you were mentioning earlier? Yep. Okay. Uh, These are movements. So how the troops are moving as opposed to once we're in a battle, what the the tactic is. Interesting. Hmm. Is that Um, uh, game mechanic still in the game? Yeah, so that's we've we've kept that in because it gives a lot more player agency to what their troops are doing before battle, huh. um, and that was a huge huge change for us. So okay, and so then, then so that's the war map, right? So what do you got going on in kind of the political sphere? So one of the big things that we try and do is preserve the diplomatic simulation. Uh, a lot of as far as I can tell a lot of other mega game groups have kind of tried to gamify mega games especially watch the skies and take away some of the off-centered imbalance within the diplomatic game we tried to to feed that in even more and so in sengoku instead of the un security council that you haven't watched the skies you have an imperial court Mm -hmm. um and in the original game that imperial court is more or less 
there's an NPC out there who's the emperor. He doesn't have a lot of power, which is historically accurate for the time period. So you can more or less ignore him. We seeded that into the game, but we still made it an actual court so that if players wanted to go to it and vie for favor essentially there, they could. And so we have a physical area set off in the game world where diplomats go to and curry favor, and we have an actual emperor who does that. It almost becomes a a role-playing center, but that's not really what it's designed for. It's designed to really stimulate the interconnected diplomacy element. And because the central government is a team Mm -hmm. it gives a place for the central government to kind of spy and get information for what the lords are doing because this is a civil war period right that's interesting wow so you just have a full simulation of the (laughs) feudal japan court in the middle of this like watch the skies-esque mega game that is fascinating Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow so how into it do people get like what's (laughs) what's uh what's some of the stories of that's happened in the emperor's court during one of these games (laughs) So one of my favorite situations came up in our second Sengoku. There was a clan, ironically, Oda Nobunaga's clan, if you know anything about feudal feudal Japan, who had accidentally murdered... (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Exactly. um, Had accidentally murdered a hostage and the current emperor of Japan, right? So one of the main gameplay features of Sengoku is the opportunity to become the shogun, right? Because you have the shogun and the emperor. The emperor is basically a god in Japanese culture, but the shogun's the person who's politically in charge and who's in charge of the central government, the bakpu, mm-hmm. in the, um, in the, the game. Wow. So the, the emperor at the time of the game is an old man, doesn't have a lot of power. The shogun is a 14-year-old boy who's being taken care of by other people, so the central government is not actually under anybody's control. You can't become shogun unless you kill the, pre- the, the current shogun or he dies of other means, right? Wow. So unbeknownst, <laughs> unbeknownst to the Oda clan, they attacked the province in which the current shogun was. Absolutely destroyed the place, ravaged it, just killed everybody in it, burned everything to the ground. This actually happened on the game map. They get a report that they find the Shogun dead in this place. So they sit there going, what are we going to do? And I have a recording of it because we record each team table. The Daimyo just absolutely loses his shit. He's like, what do you mean you found the Shogun get dead? What are we going to do? How do we deal with this and who do we tell? (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) In the middle of the game, they concoct this huge plot to frame anybody other than themselves as the murder of the Shogun, including sending agents dressed as other factions to the physical Imperial Court to go profess that they had killed him. And this becomes a huge subplot in the game that just continues to the end of the game. The Emperor is played by a controller. So I, as the lead controller, was having to feed him real intel and then caveat it as fake intel so that he knew as a controller what was actually going on but was getting intel as if he was the the <laughs> emperor. And it was just interesting time for the rest of that game as people tried to figure out what actually happened. Wow, that's very cool. Wow. 
Can I add in two things as a person who, like, I by, think the beast, by all means, yeah, or a couple things. One is, did we officially take the ninjas out? Um, the ninjas were in game two. They're one of they're like corporations in Watch the Skies in okay. that you don't want to put them in unless you've got a really vibrant game already going. Okay. Um, they become a distraction. Yeah. So they're not officially out. They're more of a module. Got it. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I think the thing that I really like about, like, when I talk about Sengoku to people, the reason I find it to be a really cool game is that simulation aspect of, like, being, to actually really do well in some ways at Sengoku, it helps to understand the social fabric and, like, the expectations and to play to that feudal era Japanese etiquette piece. And that's also when it can be really fun and interesting in a, in a really dynamic way that I enjoy seeing that. And I enjoy watching how players really like embrace that and bring that into play because you're rushing. You know, it's like the chaos that you have of every mega game. People are rushing around. But there's also like because of that etiquette piece, there's this interesting like slowing down to do these ritual things sometimes and and wow. then still earn some merit with that. I don't remember you talking too much about that, John, but I just, I always find that to be a really interesting piece because that's also when you get some of like, like the serious gaming aspects that can come through. Can I also ask like how, what are some things that you do to kind of effectively simulate like a feudal Japan court? Like, is there like tea or (laughs) or costumes or like a, a setting, you know? So we don't require anybody to actually come in costume. Of course people do. Uh, so that's been interesting. The only person that we purposefully put in costume, like I said, we have somebody playing the emperor and we've put him in costume and some of his courtiers in costume, which are really just controllers handling the honor system, essentially. Um, but what really helps with that kind of theming is rank and structure is really important to the rules. If you disobey ranking if you argue with somebody who's your superior your team actually gets docked to honor points which can affect how you come up to vote the opinions of other people in the room and people are actually graded on a scale of honor points Uh, it's a sliding scale that's up in the room you can actively watch yourself rise and fall um and so that becomes an interesting interplay there Uh, In our first, I think it was our first game, in our first game, the central government was so corrupt that one of the daimyos, one of the heads of the clans, got like visibly shaken in his dealings with this corrupt central government official. Um, And the central government works differently. They're not set people like everybody else in the game is a set human being who exists the central government players are just an agent of the central faceless agent of the central government. So this daimyo was playing to the culture of the game, but because the game's overall culture had deviated slightly from feudal Japan, he was more or less breaking tradition of what had developed in the room. And he got really, really mad at the government. And I had to step in and be like, they're the central government. You know, they're the shogunate. You can't yell at them. Even though he's lying to you, even though he's not being honorable, you, you're not going to win. And that was, that's just moments like that come up in every game where people are kind of torn between what they're feeling versus what the culture 
Wow. Is, if that makes any wow. sense. And how did that resolve, by the way? Did he did he back down or like did, uh, did he storm away he very angry? D- he backed down and then immediately went to create a coalition to destroy the central government. So nice. You know, subterfuge. Way to go. Um, uh-huh. That's a great player that, right there. That's been an interesting <laughs> Yep. Yep. Time to take him out. Um and and the interesting thing is within so I mean the the mega game starting point has nothing to do with where it ends because the players dictate what becomes the norms in the room, right? Mm-hmm. So the interesting part of Sengoku is you start with that strict Japanese, these are the norms, these are the traditions, but if the 60 or so players change those traditions within the game day, it changes. The game doesn't enforce that they stick to that code, but some code is going to develop because they've been seeded so heavily with that code. So in that game particularly, the central government demanded hostages. Hostages in Japanese culture are kind of an honor-bound tradition. You take somebody of that person's family and you take care of them, and as long as you stick to your end of the deal, your family member will be honored as if they are part of the family. The central government demanded hostages from every royal family, every clan. And the answer to that within (laughs) Japanese society should have been, heck no, go away, you can't enforce that with a military, why would I do that? That should have been the response of every player. But 90% of the teams gave them hostages. So at that moment, the culture shifted, you know what I mean? Wow. And they had suddenly this power <laughs> Leslie I want to know how did you find out about West Coast Mega Games what was your first mega game encounter were you part of any of these Sengoku games at all I so I've been part of all the games initially the first game I was sort of just on the periphery and watching John and other people do design work and sort of being like this seems interesting and cool but complicated I often don't think of myself as a gamer and it took a lot of convincing for me to be like, oh, maybe this is actually something that's kind of cool that I can do. It came off initially, and I think this is the thing that I find really interesting about Mega Games is like it seemed like you had to really be good at strategy and you had to be super amazing with mechanics and understanding all the rules. And once I was convinced that one didn't have to do that, I was much more interested in Mega Games. And that could be the way that we run our games. I'm not 100% certain about that. But yeah, so I helped a little bit with some of Sengoku 1. And then with Sengoku 2, I sort of like dipped my feet in a little bit further. And when I find something that I like or I think I can contribute to, I kind of just start doing things. And before I knew it, I was doing a lot more things. And Wow. So I, I got to ask, li- game days, are you part of Control at all? Or do you just let it? No, let it I'm never part of Control. I have helped like with venue and with logistics and sort of really doing um, making sure our controllers are all okay, uh, that they're fed and have water and are not going crazy. And, um, you know, if there are other like drops and, and things and I try to help out those pieces, but really just sort of being like a support system for the event running relatively smoothly has been my role. And then our first watch the skies game, I was a player in part because I thought it was really important that, to really understand what we are asking participants to go through that I got to experience that and could then speak a little bit more about that experience. Which, so, yeah, which is a great, great experience for anyone who wants yeah. to design a mega game for sure. I think it's an important part because there's, 
and I'm not a, I'm not like a designer in, in the way that a lot of our, the people who are involved with our games are designers, but, um, and have been part of that process, I've been on the periphery of it. And so for me, it's been interesting to sort of just watch how things are formed and how we anticipate players will experience something. And then to have already at least been able to experience that player piece a little bit was really, I think, helpful. Yeah, yeah. And you you brought up an interesting point too about uh, how the, the best players in mega games aren't the ones who are the best at strategy or math. And this is varied because there's, I should say that recently there's been a lot of mega games that really just kind of lean towards large board games where the strategy kind of outweigh the social dynamics of it. But yeah. in uh, in in my opinion, the best mega games, <laughs> uh, in my humble opinion, really lean into that social dynamics. And like, if you can convince another faction to do something, then that is like, that is exponentially more powerful than rolling a 20 on a die roll. Yep. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think, so one of the things that as like an outreach coordinator and trying to convince people, like from the get go, one of John's goals with West Coast Mega Games was that we don't just focus on getting gamers to come play games, but that we also find ways to get people who would be like, I'm not a gamer to come play. Um, and so we've been always, my entire time involved, we've been wrestling with like, how do you describe a mega game, right? Like, what is it? And that philosophical question in some ways, but having had that experience and also just having lots of conversations with different people, um, mostly online about mega games and then our group and sort of getting excited about mega games has been the fact that like if a well as far as i'm concerned a well-designed mega game allows different players with different skill sets to all find something to experience and that's always been one of our goals um so that like i as a person who have a great i have a great imagination and i like to problem solve and i'm good at communicating and i like to interact with people I can have as much fun playing a mega game as the guys who were on my team who were like super strategic game players who go yeah the number crunchers panics and like I was like I have no idea what you guys are doing at the Hollow Globe but I'm gonna go play with my alien friends over here and see what <laughs> you, do, you know and so that's been and I've I've appreciated the fact that like from the get go that has been something that John has really held as like part of what we're trying to establish so that different people and different kinds of players come and play. So yeah, um, well, you brought up so many interesting points there. Uh, I'd love to uh, pick at one or two of them. So let me ask you guys: How has your recruiting efforts and your outreach efforts evolved over time since you've gotten started? The originally starting out when it was just looking like a one-off game, seeing how mega games go, it was all social capital. It was all, Hey guys, I'm doing this thing. Can you know, who can do this? Who can control? Um, I didn't even have a conception for how control heavy Sengoku was going to be. Um, in Sengoku, you have literally a human being for every single team, uh, which is quite, quite different than most mega games and and i gotta ask how, how many players are usually on a team uh four or five okay yeah so that, you i mean that's we have a gm that ratio seems to be pretty common in a lot of mega games this is on top of the all the normal controllers that you'd have like every type of controller you'd have in watch the skies you have a lele team controller per team on top of that wow <laughs> it's just yeah exactly uh, so much so that at the moment, the hesitancy for running Sengoku again is not wanting, wanting to go back to that big of a control team. Uh, we just can't conceive of how to do it without that. But back in those days, it was just a general call out to mostly friends and then like the internet community. 
These days we do uh, kind of a targeted recruitment as well as going out to like uh, fairs, you know, board game conventions, stuff like that. But ultimately it just comes down to word of mouth, the same way you get people into the mega game. It doesn't seem like most recruitment strategies actually get us a lot. Um, we get one or two people and then those people pull in people more than like our shout outs go, but I'll let, let Leslie talk to that. I think the hardest thing, especially the way that I think that we've been working and that John especially has been spearheading working and training controllers, it becomes an investment. And so finding people who are really excited and committed to mega games has been part of like more and more where we are recognizing we want to go so that you get people who aren't just like, yeah, I'm your friend and I'm happy to help, but who are really excited about what we're doing so that we can establish a little bit more consistency, I'd say. So we've been going out into like the local community, of course, and doing like board game events and reaching out into that community. We've tried pitching a little bit um, way back in the day to some Boy Scout troops. Boy Scouts now have a game design merit badge wow. um, component. <laughs> and so like the idea of bringing, and I'm also a high school teacher, so I'm always looking for ways to like help younger people develop skill sets and have mentors. And so that's really appealing to me. So now I'm I'm sitting here trying to figure out like, how do I get in touch with different Boy Scout troops, actually get in the door and go and talk about mega games and see if any of those young guys want to come and learn about game design by being part of our experiences and learning how to GM and learning how to like do some conflict management and things like that. That's seriously cool for them to have as human beings. And then is really cool because they can earn this merit badge. So the nice thing, I think the luxury that we have in some ways with me in in my sort of interest and the, the things that I'm contributing is that I can sit back and not just always be so event project focused, but I can focus on like, all right, what are the other things we can be doing and how can we reach out to other people? Um, yeah, and I, I think this would be a good time to mention you are also very active on not only through the inner circles in general, but you also are pretty active on the Discord server for uh, the mega games, which I highly recommend if anyone's interested find a way to get onto the Discord server of Mega Game International. I'm sure it's not very hard. Um, I'm not super familiar with how Discord works, but... <laughs> you, know, you can head up our, our Facebook page and find the, the invite to it, because otherwise there's no way to really get in, but yeah. Okay, perfect. Kind of the cool thing that happens, at least with Mega Games, is there's so much movement happening and so many new things that are popping up and groups that are finding out, and they're like, I'm going to run this Mega Game, and it's easy to find out about the mega game makers but not to real like not easy to realize there's actually tons of people like in the US for example who are doing things with mega games and it's not sometimes as easy easy as like googling just like mega games and that's it for the podcast this week some of you may have noticed that there was a multiple month gap between this episode and my last episode. That was semi-intentional because I am announcing semi-retirement. I absolutely loved getting to meet the mega game designers from around the US and loved experiencing more games than I ever could have otherwise. But I'm semi-shutting down the podcast to devote more time to my own personal mega game designs, as well as uh, kind of starting a small business and finishing my doctorate. Um, it's a lot of work. <laughs> but I'll be active in the community going forward, and I really look forward to meeting more designers and getting to more games around the country, especially if you're in the Midwest. I'll be playtesting a U.S. mega game here in Minnesota in April or May coming up, so keep an eye on the Facebook group for that, Minnesota Mega Games. 
And I'm also already gearing up for 2018 Gen Con. The Mega Game Coalition, which I'm a part of, will be putting on eight games at Gen Con this year, including two Watch the Skies. Two of them. It is a crowd pleaser. And the other games are Chicago Mega Game Zombie-themed My Kind of Town, West Coast Mega Game Sengoku, Ohio Gaming Brigade sci-fi thriller mega game called Survival System, Iron Mark Games American Revolution mega game The World Turned Upside Down, My U.S. Congress mega game Sworn to Serve, and lastly Ben Canellos' Vampires vs. Werewolves mini mega game called Night Falls. It's bittersweet. Well, it's uh, it's it's semi bittersweet that I announced my semi retirement, but I'm really looking forward to what we got coming up it's a bright future for our little uh, subculture of ours and it's it's cool it is really cool and i look forward to meeting more people and going to more games and having more fun and yeah it's <laughs> it's gonna be great hopefully i'll get to meet anyone who listens to this so i guess for the uh possibly last time this is the mega game report signing out